0: Welcome to For Real, a bi-weekly non-fiction books podcast that puts the spotlight on books that tell it like it is, or at least try to. We'll cover new releases, backlist finds, and more. For Real is a book riot podcast and is hosted by me, Kim Yukara, and fellow rioter Alice Burton. We're recording on Saturday, May 21st. Hello, Alice. How are you today?
1: I'm waiting for a burgeoning thunderstorm mm. to finally hit the Chicago area, and I was mentioning to you right beforehand, I'm blaming barometric pressure for a headache I'm currently (laughs) experiencing. And once the thunderstorm hits, I
0: I think that it will be better. So I'm just like, come on. Yes. Have you been having a lot of wild weather this month? Because it has been completely bananas here.
1: Yesterday, the temperature range was 88 to 58.
0: Yes. We had a day (laughs) where it started the day at like in the 50s, and then by the afternoon, it was 90. And we've been having like big thunderstorms with hail we had like a whole slew of thunderstorms that went through that had like a tornado visibility like we were in our basement which we haven't done in a really long time and or like our lower level like just the weather has been crazy yeah i don't like it i don't know it's like a midwest thing to always talk about the weather but like this feels particularly like have you thought about the weather because it's (laughs) it's crazy so up and down yes Yes, uh, do you have any any follow up on your your current reading life?
1: Um, I am continuing the not very explored area of white male history in my reading, <laughs> and uh, I know I feel bad about it, but it's just it's just the way it's been going this year. Mm-hmm. Um, I. I'm currently not reading a Lincoln book. Surprise, surprise. <laughs> uh, I am instead, after I finished my Shackleton book, I've moved on to another explorer. And I am reading The Lost City of Z by David Graham. Yes. About Percy Fawcett. And ah, that one's fun. Yeah, going to Brazil. I'm doing it on audio, which is extra fun. I've been zooming through it because it just, you know, it's, it's basically like a movie. And then they made a movie out of it. Mm-hmm. So, which I watched. I've seen at least part of the movie and I really liked it. And I think that's what made me, since I'm already in this whole like men of history kind of mm-hmm. a mode, a lot of whom are explorers, uh, I figured I would just
0: finally get into this. But yeah, I'm really liking it. That is excellent. I think my my like dive this year may end up being like fiction and nonfiction about like code breakers and puzzle solvers. Because I just finished, I talked about it last week, uh, The Women All Spies Fear, Codebreaker Elizabeth Smith Friedman and Her Hidden Life by Amy Butler Greenfield, uh, which is a YA nonfiction biography of Elizabeth Smith Friedman, who was a codebreaker during, uh, she was born in the 1890s. Uh, so she was a codebreaker through World War One and World War II. Um, She was married to William Friedman, who is a, a very famous army codebreaker. She is less well known, um, but she was equally as good as her husband. She worked... During Prohibition, she worked for the Coast Guard trying to find uh, people shipping uh, alcohol illegally into the country. She um, broke some big uh, Nazi spy rings in South America during World War II. Uh, just she was super interesting, super cool. And it was a really good YA biography. It was just like just the level I wanted. I listened to it on audiobook. I love the way that the author like used um code breaking ideas and terminology throughout to talk about sort of like uncovering and uncracking her life and like pulling out her stories because they're both like top secret and also like a woman (laughs) in code breaking which like those stories don't get told as often so i it was really great and now i'm sort of what's the next code breaker book i can find
1: that's really neat my friend just sent her wedding invitation and on the back she has a series of numbers And I texted her and I was like, what's up with this? And she just sent me the eyes emoji. And (laughs) she was like, it's just like an extra fun thing if people want to figure it out. And I was, I am not uh, good at codes or any of that Mm -hmm. kind of thing. So I was just staring at it. and I was like, I don't even know if I want to try this. (laughs) (laughs) Because I don't know how it would work. But it is, um, it's very impressive when people are good at it.
0: Yeah, I'm not. I'm not good at it either, which is partially, I think, why I find it so fascinating. Because at least during like World War One, World War Two, like before computers became a big thing, like a lot of it was just sort of like by hand, looking for patterns, and then like understanding how those patterns work, and just just super super interesting. Mm-hmm. So, Kim and Alice, dive in into history. <laughs> Theme of 2022. All right. So before we jump in, I wanted to just let you know that. Book Riot is doing a podcast listener survey, so we would love it if you would take a few minutes to come tell us what kind of podcast content you like, what you like more or less of. Uh, you can go to bookriot.com/listener survey to fill out the survey, and after you do, you'll be entered to win a fifty dollars gift card to the indie bookstore of your choice, which is super cool. So share your opinion; you might win some money. That's awesome. Uh, so visit bookriot.com/listener survey, and with that, we will hear from our first sponsor Alright, so our first segment every week is Nonfiction in the News, where we talk about nonfiction uh, interesting stories from the the past few weeks or months or whatever. So uh, we have two today. Uh, Alice, yours is first.
1: Yeah, so Taraji P. Henson, whom we all know and love, is in talks to produce and star in the series Queenie for BET Studios. And this is about Stephanie St. Clair, who's known as the godmother of Harlem. Uh, She was a According to a Wikipedia, quote, a prominent black woman of African descent and racketeer who ran numerous enterprises in Harlem. So I looked up racketeering because <laughs> you'll like people say it and then it's like, I don't know what that is. So it is a type of organized crime in which the people set up a coercive, fraudulent, extortionary or otherwise illegal scheme or operation. So like a racket to repeatedly collect a profit so it's a very general term just being like is there is it is it um is quite literally organized crime from what i can tell mm-hmm. <laughs> just in terms of do you have an organized operation are you consistently bringing in money then you are racketeering so she did this by running a numbers game in harlem so like it's basically like an illegal lottery and she did this very successfully so i think taraji p henson is just such it she's gonna be great in it
0: Yeah, that sounds super exciting. Um, The Variety article we'll link to is by a woman, uh, reporter Angelique Jackson, and it talks about how um, St. Clair was one of the most profitable female numbers bankers in an illegal underworld run by the most vicious and notorious of men. So I think that sounds super great. And I'm very excited about this one. So my uh, story is about Colin Kaepernick, who's a former uh, NFL football quarterback. Uh, He is going to publish a young adult memoir, and it's going to be a graphic memoir, a graphic novel memoir. So uh, it's going to be called Colin Kaepernick, Change the Game. And it is a book that follows a young athlete choosing between baseball, which seems like a sure path, and football, where he feels like he can be himself, which is the path, obviously, that Kaepernick took because this is a (laughs) memoir. So... Uh Kaepernick uh was a quarterback for the San Francisco uh, 49ers. He um became famous in twenty six well, he was already famous, but he um made even more headlines in twenty sixteen when he started taking a knee during the national anthem as a form of protest. Um that's kind of spread throughout the NFL, but eventually he was cut from the team and he has not played for an NFL team since, despite uh, his uh I think insistence and general proof that he still could be an elite NFL quarterback. So this is his book about his experience in high school. In an email to uh, Elizabeth Harris, the reporter of this story, he writes that many of my experiences in high school helped anchor me in my understanding of blackness, my community, and my sense of worth. High school affirmed for me that it's sometimes only by transgressing social expectations that we're able to transform into our truest selves. Uh, So I think this sounds super interesting i love a good sports story um i think doing this as a graphic memoir is a really smart idea and i think it's gonna be super cool uh, and i was trying to check the story to see when it was gonna come out it's scheduled to release next spring so spring of 2023 uh so that'll be uh on my radar
1: awesome i mean i, do, I know very little about football but it it sounds really good
0: yes uh, all right, so with that, we will jump into new nonfiction, which is books coming out uh, soon or uh, in the last few weeks that we're excited to talk about. And actually, coincidentally, my first one is also another football book, so <laughs> this is not going to be in your wheel, so. House, alice but it is uh in mine so the book is called hometown victory a coach's story of football fate and coming home by keenan lowe uh, which he wrote with justin spitzman and it came out may 10th from Flatiron books uh and so keenan lowe was an offensive analyst and coach for the san francisco 49ers when he his high, a former high school teammate and friend uh, died from an opioid overdose and so he decided um to sort of drop everything that he was doing and go home to try and sort of re-find and re-center himself and he gets a job as the football coach of a struggling high school in Portland. So this, even though Portland is like a very white city, this is one of the few high schools that has a lot of racial diversity, but it's also a really struggling high school. So the team, the football team, when he became the coach, was on a 23-game losing streak, which in high school seasons, that's multiple seasons where they had never won a game. And they just, the sports program was not really very strong there. And so he... But he was from that area, he grew up in Portland, and so he feels like he can make a difference with the the students there. And so this book is about him becoming their coach and kind of turning around their football team and what he has learned as a a football player and coach and what he's able to kind of impart on these young men on his team. And so um, another part of the book that I haven't gotten to yet was that he writes about how he didn't feel like football was the only reason that he was meant to be at the high school. Um, and the t- turns out what he believes the reason was, is that in May 2019, a 19-year-old student entered a classroom with a gun preparing to commit a school shooting. Um, and Lowe was able to disarm him and help kind of de-escalate that situation. And so that book is also about that. And I... You know, I just love a really good inspirational sports story. I know that they're, like, cliche, and they can be very rose-colored glasses and all of those other things, but, like, I still... I still love them and so I um I really like this one. I think Lowe has a really clear voice and his ghostwriter Justin Spitzman has done a really nice job of helping him find that and helping him connect his own experiences as a young black man to the experiences of the students and athletes that he is helping to grow and mentor. And I just, you know, I really love that. It's a maybe like a a, a gentle read for me and or like a genre that I find kind of uh, Inspirational. So yes, Hometown Victory, a coach's story of football fate and coming home by Keenan Lowe with Justin Spitzman.
1: Well, that sounds really nice, though. I mean, I, again, I have very little interest in football (laughs) slash sports, but I do love those types of movies. So maybe, and also speaking of, I I don't really have interest in robotics, but I loved that book about the high school robotics Mm -hmm. team. So. Maybe you don't have to, like, love the subject itself, but it's more about, Mm -hmm. as you said, like, the sort of, like, inspirational story and, like, helping youth, Mm -hmm. et cetera, behind it. Mm -hmm. Okay. My first new pick for this week is Public Faces, Secret Lives, A Queer History of the Women's Suffrage Movement by Wendy L. Rouse. I saw this was coming out, and I was like, what? Mm -hmm. Because I was like, this combines, I'm gay, and I love the women's suffrage movement. (laughs)
0: I saw this one too and I was like, boy, if there was ever a book that was like Straight down the target for Alice. This is this is one of them. <laughs>
1: um, it's published by NYU Press, so it's also academic nonfiction, oh, which is man. always always fun. Love it. Um, but so this is looking at, I mean, as sort of stated in the title, uh, a, the the queer part of the women's suffrage movement, of which there was there was a lot of it, um, which people didn't really want to own for a long time. And I'm really excited that there is a book that is specifically speaking to it. The, it's broken down into six chapters, which include queering domesticity, queering family, uh, queering transatlantic al- alliances, as the the British and the American suffrage movements were working at the same time, as well as some other countries, uh, queering space and queering death. And then the first chapter is Manish Women and Feminine Men, which um, the cover of the book, if you are familiar with uh, women's history, public, or like that kind of thing um Mm -hmm. on the cover of the book is dr mary edwards walker who has been claimed as like a women's history figure and then some say no uh dr walker was a trans man even though the i'm gonna use they they didn't claim that in their time so in this book rouse definitely refers to walker as a she but also in the a uh, queer history of the women's suffrage movement, she very specifically says that she uses the term queer as an umbrella term to refer to suffragists who were not strictly heterosexual or cisgender. So it's referring mm-hmm. to gender and sexual identities and just about how, especially in the past, it's very hard sometimes to mm-hmm. be like, this person was this because they did not have this exact definition or terminology that we have now um so it can be difficult to know how they thought of themselves so i'm just like it's it's really neat and i'm really really glad that it exists and it has again been become part of the sort of literature about the mostly american women's suffrage movement so again that is public faces secret lives a queer history of the women's suffrage movement by wendy L. Rouse.
0: yeah that one sounds really really good Yeah, when we heard about it, I was just like, boy, that is – it's just perfect. So super glad for you to have talked about it and that you are enjoying it. My second pick is His Name is George Floyd, One Man's Life and the Struggle for Racial Justice by Robert Samuels and Toulouse Olunaripa. Um it comes out May 17th from Viking. Uh, and the two authors are reporters for The Washington Post. And this is a book that is the story of George Floyd, who was a black man murdered by a Minneapolis police officer on May 25th, 2020. Um, and his death sort of sparked a whole summer and I think ongoing um, awareness around racial justice and police violence in the United States. And so this book is a biography of George Floyd that also uses his life and uses his story to sort of look at the broader pressures and systemic issues that are particular to black men and black people in the United States. And so In the introduction, they talk about having done, like, more than 400 interviews with people connected to George Floyd, related to George Floyd, but then also, like, professors and academics and experts around police violence, around poverty, around the, like, ongoing systemic racism, like, all of these other big issues to try and, like tell his story, but then also put it in context. And so they write about how before he was a symbol, George Floyd was a father, he was a partner, he was an athlete, and he was a friend who had a lot of deep connections in Houston, and then also Minneapolis, where he had recently moved. They also get like into his family history, looking at his family's roots in slavery and sharecropping, um, his time at a segregated school and policing and mass incarceration and how those have uh, affected him, and also addiction, which was also a part of his life that um, was a challenge throughout it. And so, um, just it is—I'm not very far into it yet, but like I can already tell like how good it is just based on. The very skilled way that they like balance personal storytelling with contextualizing um, the like deep level of detail that they have about Floyd and his life and like the clear like the clear time and effort that that. Demonstrates. And so I just, I, um, both of the men are black, uh, both of the authors are black. And so they also kind of bring their own perspective as black men in the United States to telling this story, which I think is really, uh, effective as well. So, um, it's a, it's a big book, but I'm, Looking forward to read it sounds weird, but I think it, it there's so much in it that is really interesting and important that I'm I, I am looking forward to to learning more from the book. So his name is George Floyd, One Man's Life and the Struggle for Racial Justice by Robert Samuels and Toulouse Olunaripa.
1: It's also awesome. Like since they're both journalists, I, I feel like sometimes biographies or or just books about an event come out really close to it, right? We've talked about that mm-hmm. in the past. And the fact that this is the two-year anniversary also kind of lends itself to this, like, or bolsters the idea that they spent a lot of time on it and really Mm -hmm. did all this research and wanted to present something that was really, I don't know what I want to say, like, doing something, making a statement that isn't just, like, a quick, like, here's a, like, the lesson that we've decided to pull from, like. Right, yeah. Yeah, it's just, I don't know, I'm really glad that this book is out. Me too. Um, my second pick is We Were Dreamers, an immigrant superhero origin story by Simu Liu. I am so excited about this book. I know.
0: <laughs> Kim, have you seen Selling Sunset? I have not watched Selling Sunset.
1: So Simu Liu, aside from being uh, Marvel's first Asian superhero star in Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings, Simu Liu was also in Selling Sunset, which is how I first oh. became aware of him. He And he was like... He's just one of those people where you see like I'm smiling just remembering him. Like one of the <laughs> because he's so charming. He in the yes. in the show, he like meets with, I believe, Chriselle, and she's like taking him around to, you know, see various houses. But it was obviously like a tie-in promo for um Shang-Chi. Sure. Yeah. And but like he's just he just seems so nice. And my wife and I both were like, oh my gosh, we love him. <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> so the fact that he had a book coming out, I was just immediately excited. And this book is talking about uh, his own quote origin story. Haha, <laughs> it was Marvel. <laughs> uh, of being a Chinese immigrant, battling with cultural stereotypes and becoming a TV star and getting this this amazing role. So... Basically, he came to – he immigrated to Canada when he was four years old. He had been raised by his grandparents, but then his parents were the ones who brought him to Canada. Um, And he had a a tough relationship with them because he was a lot closer with his grandparents, which especially at, like, age four, right? Because you're remembering stuff then. So Mm -hmm. if you have, like, this very close relationship with caretakers and then you have this sudden, like, distant one, that's going to be rough. Mm Mm-hmm. And he basically leaned into this, like, what we know of is what I would think of as, like, more of a Chinese-American stereotype, even though I guess American, he's Canadian. But he, like, got straight A's and he was, like, in national math competitions. But then he started sort of not wanting to do that kind of thing, which I'm sure, like, the the pressure of that is awful. And so then he, when he was um 22, he was laid off from his job um, he was an accountant which again like see now him like being this marvel superhero i'm just like he was an accountant what mm-hmm. <laughs> but um so it's then like what he did from there and how we got to this point where he is now as this extremely charming young man who is on selling sunset but also <laughs> This is, again, superhero. Um, I just wish the absolute best for his career. I really can't overstate how much he is one of those people where when you see him, you're like, I really like him and Mm -hmm. want him to succeed. And those people are just like, "Mm, so special. Anyway, so this is We Were Dreamers, an immigrant superhero origin story by Simu Liu.
0: Uh, If I can do like a quick, like another charming story about him. Around the time that Shang-Chi came out, he on Twitter did a whole thread. He um. One of his jobs, I don't know if it was, like, when he was accountant or, like, after he was an accountant trying to make money was to be in stock photos. So he, on Twitter, was, I don't remember if, like, someone discovered this and then he, like, went with it. I don't know exactly the context. But anyway, it was this whole thread of just pictures of him being in business stock photos. <laughs> and it was so funny. Uh, just, like, this, this person who's now a Marvel superhero was like, yeah, a previous job I had was being in stock photos.
1: Oh my gosh, that's such a like, um, (laughs) that just immediately reminded me of Jenna Maroney from 30 Rock, like something that she would have done in the past Mm they would be like, hey Jenna, we found all your old stock photos. (laughs)
0: Yeah. So anyway, I just, I, I wish I remembered the context of that better. But anyway, it was very funny and it was very charming. So yes, great pick. Um, I have two really quick mentions of other new books that are out recently that I think people might be interested in. Uh, the first one is called Her Country, How the Women of Country Music Became the Success They Were Never Supposed to Be by Marissa R. Moss. Uh, and this is one that I started and I have to admit, like, I don't think is quite for me, but I can see how it may be for other people. And uh, the issue for me is I think it was like a little bit of missed expectations. I was thinking it was like an entire history of women in country music. And what it really is is like a focus on three contemporary um, country music stars who are women and sort of like using the history of women in country music to contextualize their particular experiences. And it's super interesting. And I really love the reporting and the stories that she's telling. But like the history part is a little too disjointed for me being someone who's not in country music or like that's not my... Area that I know very much about, but I think if you do know country music, uh, this is a very fascinating book. Her country: How the Women of Country Music Became the Success They Were Never Supposed to Be by Marissa Armas. Is
1: that wait? Is that um? Is one of the Marin Morris that she talks yes. about? Mm-hmm. I
0: don't.
1: <sighs> Sorry, I don't really like Marin Morris as a country singer. Like, I don't feel like her songs sound like country, mm-hmm. if you will. And I say that because when Lil Nas X came out with Old Country Road, people were like, "It's not a country song," and I was like, "You accept." Maren Morris' country, <laughs> therefore this is. Do you remember the other two? I, I'm like, can't recall them.
0: Yeah. So the other two are Casey Musgraves and Mickey Guyton. Oh, right. Mickey Guyton, who's, um as
1: yeah. far as I'm aware, the f- first, at least modern black country singer. Yes. Like a woman, female black country singer.
0: Yep. And so part of what she's doing is like taking these three women who are like, Country, but like different and new and sort of contextualizing by like previous female country singers, how like these women sort of came into country, but then also like the bigger challenges that women in country music currently face about like getting on the radio and getting um, some of those criticisms you talked about about like, are they country enough and all those other things. Um, And so like that part is all super interesting. I just, I feel like I need like a more straightforward history and I'm not getting that in the part that I read so far. So But that's like a, I think a me problem more than a book problem. So that's why I wanted to, to mention it.
1: I just like, I just love country music. But I loved it in the '90s when it was like extremely like mm-hmm. woman heavy, and then as people have discussed, and I'm sure this book is also discussing, is talking about the huge drop in like you said, like airplay on the radio. Mm-hmm. And so then if you look at the top songs and artists in country now, they are – it's like extraordinarily dominated by men because women are basically shut out from it. Sorry, I have like yeah. a lot of feelings about this. Yeah, <laughs> like no two, kidding. Women country artists are so cool and so good and I, their music is so great and just like having it just instead be like men singing about their truck. It's just very <laughs> upsetting.
0: You should read this book then because I feel like it is right in your wheelhouse. Oh, yeah. 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 So the other one I wanted to mention is a book called Who Killed Jane Stanford? A Gilded Age Tale of Murder, Deceit, Spirits, and the Birth of a University by Richard White, which is a story of uh, Jane Stanford, who was... She and her husband co-founded Stanford University. And then she tried to push the university in this direction of, like, mysticism and all these other things. And then eventually she was murdered in Hawaii. But then a bunch of people tried to, like, cover it up and say that she wasn't actually murdered. And it was, like, a whole conspiracy that was never, like, investigated. And so this is a book investigating that conspiracy. Um, And I care about this one because um, it came – Stanford University came up – and some other books that I really love. And so I like got a vague sense of the story about Jane Stanford, but I was like, boy, I really want to read that. And I also love books with the Gilded Age and Murder in the subtitles. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that one's on my list, too. Uh, all right. So with that, let us hear from our second sponsor. All right, so for this episode's theme, uh, we wanted to talk about books for Asian American, Native Hawaiian, and Pacific Islander Heritage Month, which is an annual celebration in May that recognizes the contributions and influence of Asian Americans and Pacific Islander Americans to the history, culture, and achievements of the United States. So those are the, the kinds of books we're going to talk about. So my first pick is one that I have talked about maybe once before, uh, American Harvest by Marie Mitsuki Mocket, which is a Gray Wolf Press book, and I love Gray Wolf Press. And so Mockett, uh, her family for 100 years has owned a 7,000-acre wheat farm in Nebraska. But she does not live there. The land is managed and harvested by others, although her family goes back annually to help with the harvest. And so after her father passes away, she needs to become more involved in the farm and with the family, something that she had not really done much of. And so uh, the book is about kind of one she follows the the team who they hire each year to cut her family's fields she joins them for kind of the entire harvesting season and follows them and so the team is led by a guy named eric wolgemuth who's a conservative farmer um who starts with his like crew in texas and then goes north over the harvest season and so the book is about like the harvest season but it's also kind of exploring the divide between the author and um like they get along and they're very close but like they're also super different like she's liberal he's conservative she's a city person he's a country person she's a he's a religious person she is an atheist and so um it's about kind of those divides but what i loved about this book is that she resists making it that simple like it is a it's not sort of those binary things like there's there's she tries to really dig into like some of their like connections and differences and so She writes about, like, the crew of uh, evangelical kids in the family that Eric hires that, like, do these harvests. She also, as they're moving through sort of the the wheat harvest season, she grapples with her experiences as a person of color, a person who's mixed race in some of these communities. I don't, I don't know, like, it's not a fast paced book. And I don't know that like everyone is going to be as engaged with a book about like, exploring weed farming and <laughs> harvesting. But I just thought it was just a really beautiful book. Um, I remember when I read it, I sat down to like, skim through and then I read like 200 pages straight through and it was just, just really really good. Like she explores how our beliefs change, how they're influenced by people that we meet and tries to like understand how those things come together and how they separate and just really, really beautifully done. So American Harvest by Marie Mitsuki Mocket.
1: Awesome. I know that we don't normally talk about political memoirs on here and it's for a number of reasons and one of the ones we, we've discussed is they can just be really self-serving
0: mm-hmm. <laughs> right because
1: like normally it's like oh i'm contemplating doing a run at the presidency so i'm gonna write a book that's kind of like the automatic so it's just not gonna be the most honest feeling or at least not like lying but maybe like omitting some things mm-hmm. because you want to make yourself look great they're like the edges feel very sanded down always to me Ooh, that's a good way of talking about it. But for Maisie Hirono, who is awesome, this her book feels different. So, this is Heart of Fire, an immigrant daughter's story uh, by Senator Maisie Hirono, who uh, has been in politics for a number of years. But she came, she was raised on a rice farm in rural Japan, which is like amazing. I'm just like, cause she's a senator. Oh gosh, it mm-hmm. makes me want to cry. Anyway, so um, she, When she was uh, seven years old, she left with her mother for Hawaii. And they they crossed in steerage. Gosh, okay. This is the other thing is a lot of political memoirs feel like I was raised in Connecticut. And like, you know, then Mm -hmm. I went to Yale. And this is just like. It's such an amazing story. Mm-hmm. She didn't speak English when she got to Hawaii. And then she became a state representative. She became Hawaii's lieutenant governor. In 2006, she was elected to Congress. And then she was elected to... <laughs> the senate and Mm -hmm. for a while she was in 2013 she was elected to the senate she was the only person of asian ancestry in the senate from 2013 until 2017 which is when tammy duckworth from illinois hey and kamala harris uh from california at the time was uh they were both sworn in but it's just it's so cool. So she talks about her life in Hawaii, living in this room in a boarding house in Honolulu while her mom was working two jobs, um, becoming a legislator, and what, like, her own experience of, like, having – like, dealing with economic insecurity and not having access to healthcare and just, like, what – how that affected her own positions politically. And, like, that kind of thing, again, I it just feels different from, like, your typical political memoir. So – I'm very excited to be able to talk about this. So, again, that is Heart of Fire by Maisie Hirono.
0: Yeah, that one sounds really good. I'm glad you talked about that. The political memoirs thing is, like, my issue primarily. um, But this one, yeah, it sounds really, like, what an incredible story and what a, like, a worthwhile story to hear and have told. Yeah. Yeah, super good. So, uh, my next pick changes direction, I would say. Uh, it's called Rest Why You Get More Done When You Work Less by Alex Sujong Kimpang. And so, Alex Sujong Kimpang is a, um, like a technology, Futurist forecaster kind of guy. Um, he works in Silicon Valley at various think tanks. Um, but he, in the last few years, uh, founded an organization called Strategy and Rest, which is about helping organizations try to implement ideas around rest and four day work weeks to be more like deliberate in workplaces. And so um, his first book was about like mindful use of technology. And Rest is his second book. And it basically is a whole argument about how we should all that rest is really important to doing our best work. And so he looks at different kinds of rest, like from sleeping to vacations, and then tries to use research and all of his experience to dispel myths that like the harder we work, the better the outcome is. And so he uses research and then also like historical examples of writers, artists, thinkers who write about how rest and breaks and relaxation are key to their like creative and work processes. And so he the argument he makes is that like deliberate rest is super important and that we need to do more of it and then he offers some ideas about how to implement deliberate rest into our lives to try and like help us relax and do better. And so this book then kind of is a leads into his latest book which came out I think 2 years ago which is called Shorter, I think. And it's about how we should uh, implement the 4-day work week, which I haven't read that one yet, but I am all for the idea of the four day work week. So, um, but anyway, I thought this book when I read it was very um, informative to the idea of like productivity. Also, like you can't just be productive all the time. Like you need to take breaks and you need to rest. And I think that's important. So I really liked it. And I think he's a really effective thinker and like always gives me good insights and like op- ideas for how to like do things differently to make your life a little bit better. So Rest, Why You Get More Done When You Work Less by Alex Su Jun Kim Peng.
1: Oh, yeah, that's great. I feel like I keep talking to, I have a lot of very productivity-driven friends, Mm -hmm. as is the case with, I think, a lot of Americans in general, Mm -hmm. but uh, in particular, I have a lot of of Enneagram One friends, if you will. (laughs) And one of my friends has very specifically stated that she wishes she were a robot, (laughs) (laughs) because then she would be more efficient (laughs) and get things done. (laughs)
0: yeah as as an enneagram one i do like the idea of rest and fun is very hard to like bring yourself to do but i feel like that's been a lot of my reading in the last like couple of years has just been about like you know what chill out that's good
1: my final pick for this section is rise a pop history of asian america from the 90s to now by jeff yang phil yu and philip wang which this book is so fun because it's like illustrated, but then also, and like the, the pop history part, big fan of that. And it's talking about specifically um, by pop history, it's kind of like it talks about like sushi and boba and BTS, <laughs> which Kim <laughs> and I were talking about right beforehand. I cannot name a single BTS song, by the way, but no. uh, I very readily acknowledge their huge influence on the culture Mm -hmm. and extraordinary popularity they had that mcdonald's (laughs) tie-in which i was very impressed by um and then also how uh in 2018 one of the most popular movies was crazy rich asians and that we have an asian-american vice president just like so much going on and the way that they have like the illustrations with it like all the drawings throughout It It makes it like very readable and fun, but also just very enlightening in terms of being like, oh, yeah, there has been this huge contribution from Asian Americans to like pop culture in the United States. And it came out really recently. So um, I don't know, I advise checking it out. If you would like, you can reserve it at your local library. I've been checking out stuff from the library like a fiend lately. And I just get really excited every time I'm like, I don't have $30 to spend on that. And then I'm like, oh, yeah, library. (laughs) Swell. Sorry, this has just been a PSA for the importance of libraries. (laughs)
0: It's true. Yeah.
1: (laughs) So, again, that is Rise, a pop history of Asian America from the 90s to now by Jeff Yang, Phil Yu, and Philip Wang.
0: Yeah, that sounds really fun because, yeah, I do think like the – there's both like the – quote, serious uh, contributions of Asian people to, like, the United States. But then also, like, there's these big cultural uh, shifts and, like, those things kind of work in tandem to bring us to a space where Kamala Harris could be elected vice president, you know? Yeah. So I think that that's a cool, like, companion or, like, additional way to look at that. Um, And, yeah, the illustrations look super awesome. So, great pick. All right, so with that, we will wrap up this week's episode by talking about the books we are reading uh, right now at this very moment. Uh, And so I am about a third of the way through Invisible Child, Poverty, Survival and Hope in an American City by Andrea Elliott, which is the Pulitzer Prize winner for general nonfiction in 2022. Uh, And so this is a book about a young girl, a young black girl in New York City who is growing up in a homeless shelter. And it is about, the I think she spent like eight years checking back in with this family and this young girl to tell their story about being homeless in New York City. And it's another one, like, the reporting is so impressive, and it is so detailed, and she has a beautiful eye for telling these stories and also, like, giving context to why her parents and her family have to be in a homeless shelter and, like, what that means and how their family history connects to this one little girl Desani's story. Um, so it is really, really good, and I absolutely understand why it is the winner of the Pulitzer Prize. It is stellar writing and reporting. So that is Invisible Child, Poverty, Survival, and Hope in an American City by Andrea Elliott.
1: Oh, thanks for sharing, though. I don't think that was as much on my radar.
0: No, it wasn't. It wasn't on mine either. I had not. I didn't. I don't remember hearing about it. So it was a good find.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. Um, I am audiobooking because I'm all about audiobooks this year. It's very different uh, for me. Uh, I am reading My Body by Emily Ratajkowski, which I had heard someone say it was really good. Because I don't really know anything about Emily Ratajkowski, but and so I wouldn't have uh, gotten it otherwise. But it's very short. I think on audio it's like five hours, and she's it's mainly like lots of short essays um, from her about her relationship with her body and her sexuality and how that has played out in her career. She very specifically talks about uh, her experience of filming the music video for Blurred Lines, and how she used to publicly react to that, like in her participation in it, and how that has changed as she's gotten older, which I also find really interesting. Um, I'm about a quarter of the way through it. But thus far, I would really recommend it on audiobook because she's also just like a very calm narrator, which I always enjoy. Nice. So yeah, that's My Body by Emily Ratajkowski. And with that, you can find us on social media. I am at It's Alice Time, and Kim is at Kim the Dork.
0: Our amazing audio editing for this episode was done by Jen Zink. If you have a few minutes, we would love it if you take the time to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify so people can find us more easily. And if you follow us there, you can get new episodes the very minute that they come out. With that, I am Kim Yukara. And I'm Alice Burton. And we thank you for listening to this week's episode of the For Real Podcast.